1: Hey, what is up everyone? This week on The Send Podcast, we're joined by Stephen Buhner to discuss the inner intelligence of Earth. Stephen Buhner is an Earth poet an award-winning author of 20 books on nature, indigenous cultures, the environment, herbal medicine and plant intelligence, and we had an incredible conversation with Stephen. It was certainly one of my favourite podcasts that we've done so far, and he has some amazing Paradigm shifting views on how we actually consider ourselves in relation to the rest of all life known on Earth and even Earth itself. And he also knows a plethora of amazing facts about plants, bacteria and animal intelligence. And in this podcast, we even got into some very deep waters and talked about how the planet Gaia Earth may have actually manifested us as human species so that it can reproduce, i.e. so that we can build spaceships blast off to space and spread its plant bacteria and genetic coding to other extraterrestrial planets interesting shit i know and as you all know we are now starting to really understand and look at how we actually view ourselves in relation to the universe and cosmos and our understanding is slowly changing and shifting and we are now starting to unlock a new understanding in our minds that this new view and understanding of the planet and life and this podcast will definitely inspire you to completely look at the world in an entire different way in the way we perceive and connect with the world and the way we even interact with the earth itself so just before we do delve into this one i just want to let you guys know as well that me and chris have now launched our new youtube video show and it's called down the rabbit hole where we just sit down me and chris and we just fire some questions at each other that we don't know the answers to so please check that out And I just wanted to say thank you so much as well for all you guys for tuning in every week and inspiring us to keep doing what we're doing. All you guys really are the reason why this podcast is so great. So thank you so much for being you. And I just wanted to say as well thank you so much to all our current Patreon members who do support the podcast in becoming a part of the Ascend podcast family. This podcast is 100% funded by you guys. And as you know, we've never bombarded you guys with stupid advertisements or stupid products that just don't serve you as a human being on this planet. So if you do think this is a conscious idea, we'd love it if you could help us grow this podcast by supporting us via our Patreon page. We have a $2 award tier, which is the price of a cup of coffee. We have a $5 award tier, a $10 award tier, in one of those special rewards is an online hangout where you can get together with us and other like-minded minds who are other patreon members discuss deep co- topics share some ideas connect and just have some fun and really go deep down the rabbit hole all together in the next hot hangout is actually going to be on sunday the 9th of july at 6 pm uk time we are really looking forward to connecting with the patreon members in the online hangout we'd love to connect with you in that we are really going to have a blast of a time, so if you also want to get involved in this hangout and all the other hangouts that are staged every month, all you need to do is go to our Patreon slash Ascend page and support the podcast. So if this does tickle your fancy, please head over to our Patreon page and join on the community. We'd love to connect with you all. So anyway, this is an amazing podcast. So anyway, let's jump in with this one. Enjoy. <music> We were, Stephen. we're really both looking forward to um, digging into your mind today and um, there's so many sort of synchronicities that have drawn us to your work as well and sort of to do with my own exploration of, of a lot of topics as well sort of drawn, drawn us to your work as well and a lot of our listeners actually reached out to us as well and recommended your name as well which is really cool so um, anyway I know a lot of your amazing work it really does sort of um, shift the paradigm in terms of how we actually sort of consider ourselves in relation to the rest of life known on earth and even earth itself as well and even how we look at plants and bacteria and many other things as well and I really do think is sometimes what I think is us as human beings can sometimes sort of have this stigma in our mind where we actually think we're the only intelligent things on this planet would you agree with that?
2: yeah I do I'm, I mean like I'm 65 and I was born in 1952 and when I went to school then we were taught as many people still are that everything out there was just sort of a static background that we could do anything with that we were the most intelligent people on the planet, most intelligent organism. And they had this sort of evolutionary escalator idea, you know, we started as slime mold or bacteria or something, and then slowly through dent of our intelligence and opposable thumbs, we crawled up out of the slime until we could dominate the planet. And that, whole picture really came out of 19th century thinking it's not accurate but because most people in the western world believe it it's generated behaviors that have damaged our interior world and the exterior world just tremendously it's a, a very foolish kind of thinking and unfortunately still very common
1: yeah I definitely agree it seems to me that as well that, uh, what I've noticed as well what the, through that statement you just said there as well it seems to me that the sort of the planet has like sort of like an inner intelligence and we sort of think we're actually in control and then every now and again sort of the planet will actually do something to remind all the monkeys on the planet that you're not in control and that, that's what I've sort of noticed
2: I think that that's one of the, the major things that's underneath everything that's happened in a lot of the philosophy that we have now which is that People are just terrified of death a lot of people are and they're terrified of not being in control and Feeling at the effect of the wildness of the world and so they create this sort of huge Philosophy where they think we can get total complete control over everything and I mean every every week I see things in the news like oh we'll be able to live to be 120 or 150 or we can download our consciousness into arrays on the moon and live yeah. for millions of years. But it's this it, it's you know, that kind of thinking is a real problem. And one of the real damaging things is that scientists or people that promulgate that sort of thinking rarely explore their own psychological motivations for what they believe. And we're all just kind of caught up in it.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree as well. And then um, Something I've been really being noticing a lot lately as well there Stephen is sort of to do like I really think that the the sort of the planet itself sort of has this sort of web web of intelligence that is all around us and it's sort of I like to call it like this invisible world, that's what I like to call it. but it seems to be that this sort of the plant the planet is sort of operating on this sort of in, inner intelligence. Would you agree with that that the planet has this sort of inner intelligence?
2: Oh, very much so. I think that the intelligence we see in ourselves, is only a specific instance of a general condition. And as soon as we start getting into this area, we're running head-on into one of the most fundamental beliefs of reductionist science and really kind of of human exceptionalism. The, I mean, when you look at the indigenous cosmologies from around the world that are very old, all of them had a sense of, nature as intelligent, of the earth as intelligent, and they had a lot of different ways of speaking about that, but that's kind of been supplanted until um, Jim Lovelock came up with the idea of Gaia, and there's been a lot of conflict about that, but in essence, deep Gaia, there's really three different forms of that. There's deep Gaia, shallow Gaia, and earth system science, and people have pretty much come to the understanding that the Earth acts like a living organism but the shallow Gaia people say it's not really a living organism it just acts like it I mean that's the Earth system science the shallow Gaia people said it is a living organism it's not intelligent the deep Gaia people say it is so in my experience everything is highly intelligent many things far more than human beings what are the interesting things to really think about is when people start saying that thing about how intelligent people are the thing that always comes up to me first is well how many people have you actually known? Mm-hmm. you know I've met a lot of people and they don't seem to be the most intelligent organisms <laughs> on the planet and actually I think what scientists mean is that they're the most intelligent organism on the planet and you know the rest of us are just like the superstitious natives but that's one of the thing, the most fundamental, crucial things that we have to understand, that point that you just raised, is that the Earth is highly intelligent, and every organism that we perceive on the Earth is also highly intelligent. But we partake of that only because we're part of that larger organism.
1: Yeah, I love I love that by the way as well. And just some a point, I want to jump on there as well, Stephen. I was actually wondering, do you know to get what you were saying there to get actually get to that point in mind? Because I think the way the way society sort of set set up, I mean, if you have like a um, even if you just have like a young young child and a young child has like a dream at night, the mother will just turn around, and just say, "Oh, it was just a dream, honey. It was just a dream. Forget about it." But to, to even get to that understanding of like um, the planet being like having this intelligence, do you think like us as human beings sort of have to override them systems that we've learned all our lives?
2: Well, we do. And that's part of what people are struggling with now. I I don't meet people anymore who don't have a sense. In other words, I think everybody has a sense that there's something seriously wrong with our relationship with the world, that things are spiraling out of control. And it comes from that kind of thinking, which is really bad software. It's you know, or in this yeah. instance, you could say it's bad wet wear and it's affecting our meat wear behavior, you know. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> that the dynamic is when you look at what children do, the way that they naturally are, small children know that flowers and plants are intelligent and aware. They know they're surrounded by these life forms that are equivalent to them that they can have relationships with and friendships with. And That is beginning, as soon as they start school, that is pretty much drummed out of them until they become completely dissociated from the world around them. And I I really think that's the source of a lot of the depression people in the West constantly experience. I mean, we take more antidepressants than any other culture on the planet. Yeah, it's terrible. Because we feel completely isolated inside our own house and we look out and there's nothing out there we can really have connection with so this argument has been going on for well over two centuries about the fact that the world is alive intelligent and aware we can have relationship with it or it's just simply you know this rock of resources hurtling around the Sun that we can do what we want with and that second Perspective is failing because it's not accurate.
0: Mm, definitely, and um, Stephen, like when you touched on like human beings themselves, like has not been the most intelligent species on the planet, and yet yeah, we regard ourselves we do. But you got to look at it like the understanding of like us as human beings right now. We are like we poison ourselves with like chemicals and like aware aware of like the dangers of alcohol and smoking, but yet still continues to do it. Like we've created like this harmful environment, like. And we structure our minds in such like a negative way. It's like, it's like completely sabotaging ourselves. It's like, we are, we are actually creating like this lack of intelligence, to be honest. And and which is fascinating to me. But I know you've also done loads on plant intelligence. So, how is that? How has it actually shifted your own mind and perspective in terms of like how you perceive your own existence on the planet?
2: Well, it's. I think all of us that start to get this sense of that things are wrong and that we don't feel right in ourselves. it starts all of us on this long personal journey to find out what we are. I mean, I had three questions. I grew up in a really dysfunctional family, and I left home when I was 16, and I had three questions for myself. One was, what what am I? And second, what does it mean to be a human being? And third was, what is this scenario in which I'm embedded, this whole world? What is it? And those were the questions that were of interest to me. And a second thing was, I realized that there were certain, like with my great-grandfather, I was really close with him, and there was these certain experiences I had with him that were really fulfilling, and I thought... Why go through life without having that kind of intimacy and good feeling? I could feel when I was around him, something came out of him and came into me, just when we would lay on the banks of a pond and be fishing together. And that experience, which I subsequently found a word for um, from James Hillman, an ancient Athenian term called esthesis, where it's an exchange of soul essence between... A human being and something outside themselves, where my soul goes out and the soul of the tree or the stone or the person comes in all of us have had this kind of experience with puppies or with landscapes that affect us and so those dynamics those are important questions and as going on that journey whatever it is that motivates us to do that we start to slowly find out that we've been sold a bill of goods that the the stories we've heard about ourselves or the world they're just completely inaccurate and so we're confronted with a really tremendously difficult thing because human beings need to belong to a tribe of people a community however you want to say it and when you find out that you're thinking and you're feeling body are so different that the world is not what everybody's saying and you begin to take that journey by yourself away from that, you substantially begin to change because your perceptions, your understandings, your behaviors, your interactions with the world and what the world is giving back to you is so incredibly different and there's a a certain challenge A cognitive challenge to come out to yourself. That's it's very difficult, and yet more and more people all the time are doing that. And I think that's one of the great challenges and excitements of our time.
1: I love that. By the way, that was a brilliant point. By the way, and um, just something else, I would love to. um, I love to like delve a bit further in it, like and obviously try and dissect a bit more, a bit more on plant intelligence, because obviously I know that you're very a lot of your work is very thorough in that area as well, and. um, Something I would love to touch on with you, Stephen, is sort of plants in relationship to sort of human intelligence. Because I was actually thinking about this. So we've actually sort of co- sort of co-evolved to sort of live interrelated with sort of with the plant world, and plants have obviously sort of had an effect, like a direct influence, sorry, on our moods and behaviors and things like that. I was actually wondering what's your thoughts on plants in relationship to human intelligence and how that could have actually shaped us.
2: I think plants are, in general, quite a bit more intelligent than human beings. I- Really, I mean, I go into this in massive detail in my books, like plant intelligence in the imaginal realm, for instance, is probably the most detailed. But basically, the plants and bacteria are the two most important life forms on the planet. We're, as Buckminster Fuller used to say, we're only throwaway. And plants and bacteria are both far more intelligent than human beings. They have sophisticated language, sophisticated culture, their tool-making capacities far exceeds our own and the future plan. They, I mean, everything that human beings do that we've been taught makes us unique are done better by both bacteria and plants. And so, to me, one of the interesting things I found is that many of the people that I admired most, whose work I stumbled into by accident somehow in my life, like we all do, many of them had started out working with plants, like Goethe, the great German poet, was also highly involved with plants and plant intelligence. Barbara McClintock, who worked with corn transposons, Luther Burbank, on and on and on, and somehow by being immersed in the plant world, there's a slow alteration of perception and thinking that happens from being around them. I think most people who have ever gone into wilderness have had the experience of coming upon a great old growth tree. Now, England is quite known, um, the UK is quite known for some of the magnificent old trees that are there, and in my experience, and I've spent some time over there and and been privileged to meet some of them, there's this moment where you're walking along and you don't really see it yet and then you come upon it and you just stop and you take this deep breath and you're impacted by some invisible experience or invisible moment, invisible transmission of this real thing as your heart responds to what's being presented to your senses. Some energy comes off of the tree, some intelligence, some identity, some soul force that enters into the human being and you can't help but then stop and be caught up in a moment of wonder and awe and that I've had that same experience with a very few human beings in it's possible for human beings to become old growth themselves. it's just very few people do it now and somehow in that association with these ancient trees, and those are the ones that first began to capture my attention, but there's old growth plants, you know, that are just very tiny that we tend to overlook and they have that same kind of dynamic and experiencing that, if you follow the feeling that that engenders, it pulls you into an entirely different kind of world where plant intelligence is far surpasses that of the human being.
1: Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry sorry to jump in there. By the way, that was a beautiful answer. And when you were saying that as well, it really resonated with my heart there because I'm definitely someone as well who sort of loves to go in nature. And like you said there, when you're feeling the energy off the trees and things like that, that is exactly how I feel as well. And for me, it feels like... a, a. I always call it going home that's what i feel like i get this sense because i go in the woods quite a lot by myself and i'll just go and sit beside a tree and i'll just sort of like i'll even i do this process it's um i mean people might think i'm weird but I, I, i'm not bothered i like doing it because what i do is i'll go and sit beside a tree and i'll put me back towards the, uh, the tree and i'll actually sort of i'll do like a little meditation but i'll actually request i'll actually ask the tree like sort of in my mind is it okay if i sort of lean on you and also work towards you and sort of send any positive energy out of the world that's what i like to do but um when you you were talking before as well about how sort of like you were talking about all them great masters and um, i'm not sure i can't remember what names you said now but you were talking about how them people were sort of actually going, in, going into the woods and sort of using nature as a, as a bridge to something in the mind i was actually thinking because it, it seems to me that through my journey as well and what you were saying there as well it seems to be that nature may actually be sort of may actually be there to make us as human beings actually question the nature of reality and what we're doing on this planet
2: Well, one of the things, I mean, I like the way you said it feels like coming home because that's the kind of scenario that we emerged out of. And when we get close to that again, it reminds us of something that some part of us has always known is important. You know, and you said this thing, um, I forget your exact phrasing, but you said it might sound kind of weird, but then I do this stuff now. That kind of apology that you made is something that all of us struggle with.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: That I've gone through in my life a lot until I got to the place where I found a way to talk about it to most people. But that apology dynamic, this is the first time in the human habitation of this planet that any human being would apologize for getting teachings from the wildness of the world. I love that the We're the first culture ever that has been so dissociated that we think that it's not real. So, you know, so, you know, to just add one more thing about plant intelligence here. See, I followed my feeling sense, and a lot of people are doing that now, and I think that's crucially important. I mean, James Hillman had a couple of, of great sayings that have really helped me be focused. One was, uh, we've lost the response of the heart to what's presented to the senses. Wow. Wow. And, and the second one is, it was only when science convinced us the world was dead that they could begin their autopsy in earnest. So what happens, those of us who are aware of the luminous aliveness of the world and we begin to speak about it, we feel like that we have to apologize for it and that's a sign of the colonization of ourselves. Now plants, you know, people have been talking, researchers have been talking a long time about how human beings have the largest brain and a lot of people, or into that brain chauvinism sort of dynamic. But what's important is not the brain. That's just simply an organ. What's important is the neural network that the brain contains. And that organ's only function is to contain, contain that neural network. But when you start looking at plants, they don't need a brain because their root system is their neural network. It works just exactly the same way ours does. They use the same neurotransmitters, they store memories. They're very engaged, and their neural networks in many instances dwarf our own. And because in the soil, their neural network can continue to grow and develop as long as it wants to or it needs to. So there's some aspen root systems that cover 100 acres and are over 100,000 years old. And so they have this tremendously long memory of what it means to be alive and to think in that incredibly slow way so in fact the reductionist should be apologizing for thinking these incredibly strange thoughts that really have no um, relation to reality and one of the things I really try to encourage people always to do is to trust your feeling sense and know when you have that feeling of a tree and you treat it with the respect of any other living being you just talk to it and say I'd like to sit here with you for a while and you begin to develop an intimacy with them there's no need to apologize for that as a matter of fact nearly every human being that's ever lived believed that that was the real experience and I still do and I think uh, a lot of the scientific researchers on the leading edge are coming back to that understanding now.
0: Wow, I love that. By the way, <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of like the. It was like, really, it's hard to even put that into words in the context of how I'm feeling about that because it's so powerful. It's like, it's like oneness. It's like the all of Earth, like coming together, like man and nature, we're just really experiencing the love in that moment. It's so powerful. So. Oh, sorry, go
2: on, continue. Uh, I mean, we're in this situation where the invisibles and the... See, one of the things that linear reductionists have missed for a long time is that, well, they've tended to be really bipolar. You know, they, they think that, well, you have to behave rationally. I mean, we've all heard that ridiculous statement way too many times, as if the only option is to behave not irrationally, But what's really true is the majority of the world around us is neither rational nor irrational. It's non-rational. And that's a whole other realm of experience. And when we start moving into this, the place where imagination is important, where our feeling sense is important, because our feeling, think about what the feeling sense does. Its whole purpose is to allow us to contact the meanings with which we're surrounded. If all of us have had the experience of walking into a new restaurant we've never gone to before, we're going there with a friend and we get inside the door and then we stop short and then we go, Ooh, this place feels weird, let's leave. That, our ability to sense that way, to sense the meanings that were encountered, they're transmitted to us through a feeling complex that we pick up, it's to help us navigate the meanings of the world, and for all of us to be trained out of that incredibly ancient capacity that we have is just simply foolish, and ultimately what it does is it destroys our ability to inhabit our own life, to feel uplifted, to feel happy, to feel loved, to feel all of those things, that sense of oneness and community that you were talking about. But certainly, looking at the way that the Western world is collapsing right now, I think we could do with a little more feelings of oneness and community.
0: Oh well, yeah, completely agree. And that's that's the, how we're all gonna evolve together, like humans and plants, and and not just humans and plants, but animals. Like the entire world all becomes elevated at once in in the new evolution. Um, Stephen, uh, one of the things that you actually brought up is when you said like um when you talk about England having like a beautiful collection of um, old trees and I agree I've seen many beautiful old trees in the the UK and and it actually made me think of this question like um, do like um, all the trees do they hold like a different set of like intelligence or is there like like a hierarchy of intelligence or is it just like one vast intelligence
2: which flows through all? Well that's really a couple of different things there the old growth trees that are thousands of years old I mean probably one of the most stunning ones I ever experienced was at Schumacher College and they've got on that estate there where the college is located the Dartington estate um, when it was first settled oh about the year 1100 something like that they built a small chapel there and right next to a yew tree, which had been a place of, of traditional spiritual and religious work for very, very many thousands of years. That tree, I think they said, is something like 4,500 years old. And unlike many of the small churches that were built in England, they didn't cut it down. So to be able to walk into that place and experience a yew tree that's that ancient, you get this experience, it's it's like eldering is the way I think about it. It's As we're growing up, you, were, you two remember, I know, what it was like to be small children and then you become an adolescent and then you become a young man and then eventually you'll become middle-aged and then you'll go into old age where there's the possibility of eldering which very few people seem to understand. It takes a bit of work. It's just as hard as adolescence, only uh, uh, a bit more intense, I think. And But the interesting thing about these old trees is that they go through this eldering process, just like human beings do, only they do it for very long time spans. And so you really get that experience when you're around them. There's kinds of states of being and perception and mind that they begin to develop simply because of how ancient they become. Now the other part of your question about the connected intelligence it's quite true that in many ecosystems all of the plants are connected together through a mycelial network which is basically the the root system of mushrooms, you can think about it that way, which itself is an extremely sophisticated neural network, and quite often those will be connected to the root systems of all of the plants that grow in that region, and it forms this huge, massive neural network much larger than any individual being in that region, any individual plant or organism and those ecosystems themselves self-organize in a way where they become highly intelligent only you can't find it's sort of like you know it's easy like we see another human being and we may know that that person is a nonlinear, self-organized biological organism that it's more than the sum of the parts but you can kind of point to where they're located in space the you know the the most dense point where they all come together but all of us also really know that the person bob or tom or mary or whatever is not that body there's some the body is part of them yeah but there's something else that's more than the sum of the parts that has a certain feeling to it that we when we get around it and what you get in ecosystems that self-organize like that is there's an entity that comes into being that can be felt but you can't locate it in any of the parts and this this is something that's been very hard for reductionistic scientists but in older cultures there isn't one on earth that wasn't really clear that something more than the sum of the parts came into being an intelligence that was highly potent very communicatory that human beings could get in relationship with and so indigenous cultures might say there's powerful spirits that live there are there's the spirit of mountain that lives there or however they are the mountain spirit however they might talk about it and that gets us into a place we can feel it but we can't find it so we're, we're working with intelligences on multiple levels of complexity and then you might say that all of the ecosystems of the planet all of these self-organized ecosystems themselves self-organized together as the earth itself and that's sort of a short i guess answer to your question <laughs>
1: that was a brilliant answer by the way as well and it made me think in my head there because when you were talking about uh, ecosystems that sort of self organized i was actually thinking in my head there because i was watching a documentary a couple of a uh, month ago and it was talking about how there's actually plants uh, sorry ants that work for plants and it was talking about how the sort of the ants sort of uh, protect the, the plant from sort of harmful pesticides and things like that and other dangers obviously to the plant but then the ants were actually being repaid, um by this sort of like obviously you'll know about this like a sweet sugary liquid that they get uh, rewarded with but it, it's really interesting to me because i was actually thinking is this is that activity as well is that like a part of evolution or is it because um because maybe it's because through some form of over communication between the plants and ants
2: well, yeah, of course. I mean, there's there's a certain kind of a mutualism. I mean, when you really get into looking at the world and really starting to let what it really is subvert your thinking, then what you begin to find is that nature isn't red in tooth and claw, that the entire earth is much more mutually cooperative than we've been led to believe. And, and, and I think that whole concept of everything being a competition for, in a short, brutal competition for existence, you know, as we've been told way too many times, what that really is, again, that it comes back to is that fear of death. The the lack of ability to understand that all of us are dying, human beings are meant to biodegrade, we're biodegrading now as I speak, and we're going to biodegrade ultimately back into the earth itself. And that... Kind of, there's some sort of kind of a feeling of betrayal or rage or, or terror or something about that which affects people. But when you really begin to look and you can accept that just death is an inevitability here and you kind of get that out of the way, then you start to see how incredibly cooperative everything is. So in that particular instance, those ants protect the tree from certain kinds of herbivores or other parasites, and the tree then also supplies some of its sap for them to eat as a food source. And you you find this kind of thing all through the ecosystem everywhere, these mutually supportive interdependencies. And when you think about it, we're completely interdependent with the earth itself. We, I mean, yeah, we can invent you know a mechanical horse which we call a car but mechanical spinach i don't think so
1: mm. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I love that by the way and as well you're completely right because it seems to me that there is this sort of this deeper work going on, on the planet that we don't understand as well and it actually made me raise a point in my mind because i wanted to actually sort of delve further into the relationship between sort of humans and the planet and plants as well because um and i would love to know your thoughts on this because we had um we actually had dennis mckenna on the podcast and i think you're familiar with his work as well dennis mckenna aren't you
2: yeah I am I've been Dennis was one of the first his book with Terrence called The Invisible Landscape was one of the first books I read long ago it was their first book and I wrote him a letter I was so young and naive I wrote him this letter and Dennis took the time to write me back quite this kind thing so we've had a relationship off and on for about 40 years now
1: yeah it's brilliant because we had him on the podcast and he we had a a very interesting conversation and he has some very interesting points uh, out there in regards to sort of planet intelligence and the planet and things like that but we had a a brilliant conversation about how it could be he, he made a statement that it could be actually possible that ayahuasca is actually using human beings for its own evolution so so he was talking about how ayahuasca actually understands in order to survive and in order to evolve, it needs um, human beings to spread its uh, seeds to other planets in the universe, which I thought was very fascinating. Have Have you ever thought about that? I would love to know your thoughts on that.
2: Well, I've thought about that quite a bit. And though I want to take issue with the word evolution because it's got so much baggage with it that it doesn't really work. And most people, when they think of evolution, we've been trained... See, Darwin didn't think about it the way that most of us are trained to think about it, but Herbert Spencer did, and Herbert Spencer's a guy I don't particularly care much for, but, you know, he's the guy that came up with nature's red and tooth and claw and all of that stuff, but we think of evolution as sort of a pyramid or an escalator, you know, where you start at the bottom and then you kind of build upward and upward until you get to human beings, but... Really, Darwin looked at it as that more like a bush, that everything was equidistant from the same center. And he had one sign in his office that said, remember, there is no higher or lower. So that dynamic is, so I prefer the word innovation because when self-organization happens and unique entity comes into being And it has this kind of really sophisticated balance point, like riding a bicycle. And at first, you know, we all do that. But when you get that balance point and you're riding along, any little thing that disturbs your balance point, some deep part of you responds to immediately, and you begin to innovate your behavior to maintain that balance point. Now, Organisms can change their physiology like plants and bacteria do, for instance. So there's a lot of innovation going on, but the whole point of it is to simply maintain the homeodynamic balance of the planet or the organism that you're talking about. When you start looking at plants, it becomes there's always a moment where you have to start to wonder who is the dominant species. People like to think that, oh, we took this plant from there to here, or we grow it for food, or we changed it this way. But really, when you start to look at it, human beings are very much like a cow, or a deer, or any other kind of animal. We pick up seeds from plants, and we move them from here to there. And the plants use us to develop their range, to extend other places. And you have to understand that um, there's, uh, within many indigenous traditions they looked at plants as um, our parents. And in a way that's a really great way of looking at it, that they would say we're the children of the plants, and as soon as you say that, if you let that thing become true for you. The thing that immediately kindles in a human being is a sense of kinship and relationship. And when you think of them as our parents, there's a certain um, responsibility that seems to come from them of caring for their children. So (laughs) the interesting thing is that these plants need us. As my partner Julie McIntyre has said, you have to remember it's their Journey to, and so they give us things, but we also give them things in return. And um, the the neuro the the neuronostic plants, the psychotropics, the hallucinogens, whatever term you use for them, they're interwoven into the ecosystems of the planet because they help facilitate the neural network functioning of the planet. So that the organisms, individually and collectively, can respond to environmental challenges that are difficult. It helps them move out of habituated patterns. So we offer a lot to ayahuasca, but in a lot of ways, I think what's happened is we've become subverted or subsumed by what we think we conquered and those plants are using us for their own purposes again as buckminster fuller said we're only throwaway we're we're just bees you see bees who go out looking for honey without realizing we're performing cross pollinization
1: when you were talking there about you was saying about how the um talking about the plants as parents i thought that was beautiful by the way and i was actually thinking maybe the earth is sort of like our grandparents and i was actually thinking maybe maybe i was thinking in my mind there when you were talking about ayahuasca as well and i know a lot of people are sort of like obviously taking ayahuasca and things like that but in dennis mckenna also linked into that as well he talks about how uh sort of how plants have messages and things like that and i was actually thinking maybe the the planet itself could actually be using the plants as well as a bridge to our human psyche
2: oh sure I completely believe that that's true I mean I don't at this point in my life I don't experience that much separation between me and the planet um, years ago when I would teach I'd be you know in some classroom somewhere teaching and I'd ask the students I'd say okay um, touch the part of the earth that's closest to you and they would look around and get really confused and it was very, very rare that any of the students would reach up and touch their own faces because we are the earth simply in one form we're earth peoples and it's a unique expression we come out of that scenario the matrix of the scenario we emerge for a while and then we merge back into it again so we're part of the whole scenario and one of the as that began to dawn on me with greater and greater um, clarity I had to begin to ask myself about what what is the function of human beings because all of us have struggled for so long with the fact that human beings are doing such damage to the planet and there's a real tendency to think of human beings as a cancer or a virus or some terrible you know scourge But the thing is, the Earth doesn't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, in a lot of ways, nobody trusts the Earth less than an environmentalist. The Earth has dealt with difficulties far more severe than what it's going through now during the Anthropocene process of human civilization and technology. But if the Earth doesn't really make mistakes, then you have to look at what we're doing as having some particular function for the earth human beings don't just do stuff in mass out of the blue no life organism no species on the planet does they're all part of maintaining the homeodynamics of the earth and so of course one of the things that happens to human beings is that knowledge and information caring teaching flows from that world that's four and a half billion years old through whatever parts of it that we happen to encounter it's important to understand that we matter to the plants to the earth itself and that if we're really able to embrace becoming children of the earth to understand what that means and begin to carry that lineage consciously and walk through the world amazing serendipities begin to happen where the teachings that we need to become ourselves to do the work that we've been given to do in this life, it gets facilitated by coming across plants that somehow give us or allow some sort of understanding into our awareness that we were seeking but we just couldn't find and those sort of moments begin to happen more and more and more the more willing we are to open ourselves up to what we are and what our function is here.
0: Oh, I love that. What an incredible answer by the way. Uh, me and Dan both wrote down at the same time. Earth doesn't make mistakes. We did. <laughs> I
2: know it's a it's a weird thing that people think the earth is somehow really stupid and it would generate a species that would destroy it like human beings. It's not. It's that doesn't have any relationship to the way things really are. If you get to the point of understanding that the Earth doesn't make mistakes, then the proper questions begin to occur of their own accord inside your mind.
0: Wow, wow that's so deep. <laughs> so, Steven, through all your research and understanding, what have plants and nature actually taught you about like consciousness and
2: the intelligence in nature? Well, they taught me that I'm not very smart. That's the <laughs> one thing that they've taught me over and over and over again. It, it's I mean, I think it was Einstein that said, we know less than 1% of what goes on here, and that will always be true. And so for me, you know, many young people are quite arrogant, even though they don't realize it. And it's a necessary part of that stage in life. But over and over and over and over again, what the world has shown me, plants, the earth, everything, is how incredibly ignorant I am. And so I've tried to really cultivate an enjoyment of that. At first, I was embarrassed by it. And uh, I remember I was teaching this one place up in uh, Canada, and this one woman got really, really upset with me when I was saying, but we're ignorant, we always will be, we just have to understand that. And if we totally understand how incredibly ignorant we are and that it will never change, it alters the way we approach the world because we have to look at everything that we're doing as having some hidden defect in it that's coming from our ignorance. And, you know, she was looking at it in more of a social justice dynamic about, you know, inner city children being ignorant or something. But that's a whole different kind of dynamic. One of the things the earth insists on is that we begin to be humbled. And that's probably the two things really that... And the second thing was there's soul teachings in the world for us. I I really believe that the journey to the self is important. And it's something that, for whatever reason, was always important to me from my adolescence. When you go into the world with an undefended heart and you are genuine genuinely seeking in that way, and you learn to listen, to get out of your own way, to get that chatter in your head to stop for a while, the world starts sending in these most marvelous understandings about what it means to be a human being, about what it means to be immersed in this scenario that we call the earth, and there's a sense of conviviality and companionship It's like there's a certain moment when the long loneliness of the human species ends. And that's, I think, one of the most crucial tasks in front of us is for more and more people to experience that state.
1: Wow, i love that i love how you're talking about shifting the chatter because that is a big journey on my journey that i recognize in my own mind that i've got to try and sort of decipher through all this sort of input that's coming to my mind and i've got to try and decipher out with but Stephen, just to sort of uh, bring this to th- end i was wondering how do you think actually sort of people can actually start shifting the consciousness like how do you think we can actually how do you think people can actually cultivate this understanding of nature and this amazing intelligence that is all around us like how could we tap into that and understand this different view of the world that is the intelligence of nature?
2: I, there's one thing that I've told people for the last 30-some oh, years about that, and it really is to trust your feeling sense, to to retrain that capacity in the human being i mean this we are more dissociated from our feeling sense than any culture has ever been in the history of human habitation of this planet so to ask yourself how does this table feel how does this book feel how does this classroom feel how does this doctor's office feel how does this pharmaceutical that they're giving me feel you know you just look at whatever's in front of you and you go how does it feel now what you begin to do is reclaim the response of the heart to what's presented to the senses in that moment. But we've taken poisoned feelings into us by the ton. Many of the things that we're taught to ignore, to just accept, there's something feels off about them. They don't feel right. The schools that I sat in and as a child didn't feel nurturing. They didn't feel good to my soul. They didn't feel good to my heart. And so I learned to turn myself off and just not notice. But once you start doing that, you find some shirts feel better than other shirts. And if you wear those shirts, you feel more yourself. You know, some plants feel better than other plants. And so you naturally gravitate to want to be toward them. Certain walks feel better. And once you start paying attention to that and you you ask yourself I mean I have spent 20 some years training myself every day to do that with everything I encountered because what we surround ourselves by is what we become over time and when you start doing that and you start paying attention to the subtle touches of meaning on you that you can only find through your feeling sense then you start to find that there's certain things that happen that feel a bit out of the ordinary that you start to encounter what the poet William Stafford called golden threads, that if you begin to follow those, you begin to have the most marvelous adventures and journeys that are just simply not easily explainable. It becomes a soul journey of becoming in a certain way and the world, as the poet Keats said, becomes the place of soul-making and you begin to go from place to place to place and you start to find um, understandings and experiences that are uniquely meant for you. Now, one of the things, I've been to London many times to teach, I actually like that city quite a bit, and one of the things people would say to me, for instance, is, well, you know, we live in London and this is where we've always lived, so how can we find this? And one of the stories that I like to tell is, you know, I was walking down uh, a street in London, and you know, it was kind of a gray day, and I'm walking, and on the side of the sidewalk, there's this very high stone wall, as there are many places there, and I'm walking along, and as people are walking by me, they're coughing and sniffling and stuff, and I'm looking at the wall and in the sidewalk, and there's, you know, about 15 different lung herbs and respiratory herbs that are growing wild, all in those crevices and cracks that these people are walking by, completely oblivious, to the fact that they're there. The thing is, once you begin to follow your feeling sense and begin to look around, you start to see there's a lot of stuff going on here that we never noticed, that we've been taught isn't there. So the plants keep putting forth their best efforts on our behalf, whether we notice it or not. And once you do notice it, once you take a plant and you become healed by it, nothing is ever the same again.
1: Wow, I love that. By the way, and I loved how you yes, you brought that point right in, talking about feel, because we we were both looking each other just like thinking, wow. But we honestly, we're both feeling this podcast. We're feeling your wisdom, and just thank you so much, brother, for being on the podcast. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, thank You're you really so much.
2: From, I really appreciate you asking me to be on. It's quite a pleasure
1: wow what an amazing podcast that was i absolutely loved when steven said the earth doesn't make mistakes it really makes you start questioning so many things in your mind and if you guys do want to delve further into this man's mind please check out all of his books which can be found on amazon or just type in steven Buner on google and you will find all of his work and all the links to all his stuff and also the links as well to all steven's things will also be in the show notes at the ascend podcast website and this podcast is 100 percent funded by you so thank you so much and if you do want to become a patron and support the podcast we really would appreciate it and please just spare two minutes and check out the online hangout that is coming up very soon and also the online hangouts that are every month we would love to see you all be a part of be a part of them and join in and you can if you want to if you want to check out more information about them please go to our Patreon page, which is Patreon slash send. So anyway, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We'll catch you next week. Keep seeking everyone. Peace.